All right, I hope you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 23. Eddie started a little early. I asked him to on, on verse 30 of the previous chapter because it does lead into, and most of you know this, but chapter divisions are not inspired. They were done much, much, much later. They're just sort of to help us know where, instead of just turning, say, turn to page 7022. So we appreciate that, but sometimes the chapter divisions, uh, it's important for us to recognize that those chapter divisions are, are just to help us locate the verses of Scripture. So it really starts in verse 30. This is, um, this is an unusual chapter. Many times on Sunday morning I'll send out, not many times, sometimes I'll send out a note, say, read the chapter and see if you, you recognize anything unusual about this chapter. There is something very unusual about this chapter. Does anybody recognize that? Anybody read it and say, oh, I think I know what it is? Anyone? 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 No. Okay. I didn't think you would. But anyway, I, I did, and I, I found it to be highly unusual. And thank you, Jeannie, for not cheating, because I already told her the answer. You know, it, oh, you weren't listening, were you? you? I was talking to Ron. Okay, you're back in. Okay. As I was reading this chapter, I, I found that there's several things missing in this chapter. There's no mention of the name of Jesus in this chapter. There are no miracles in this chapter. There's no doctrines that are systematic theology that's taught and explained in this chapter. It reminds me of an Old Testament book that does not mention the name of God. Anybody know which book that is? Esther. Esther, exactly. And... What I found to be interesting is that both the book of Esther and this chapter have a similar theme. Have a, as a matter of fact, have exactly the same theme. What, does anybody want to guess what the theme of Esther is? many, but the primary theme of the book of Esther is. Anybody guess? Anybody know? Anybody know the book of Esther? Ever heard of the book of Esther? Remember what happened in the book of Esther? You know who the main character of the book of Esther is? <laughs> it wasn't Mordecai. <laughs> what did Esther do? She spoke up on behalf of her people. That's right. She spoke up on behalf of her people. Because of why did she speak up? On, why did she have to speak up on behalf of her people? Why? Because she was a Jew. Because she, she was a Jew. Okay, uh, and what were going to happen to the Jews? Anybody know? What were going to happen to the Jews in the book of Esther? If they didn't bow down and worship the king, they would be. The king was after them. And there was this guy named Haman that set up a plot. To, and it was really just to kill all the Jews, right? And that didn't happen because of what? Because of what Esther did, but overriding that, the overarching theme of that is that God's providence and protection of the Jews. God's providentially, not miraculously, providentially. That's what we're going to talk about, the difference in that. Providence and miracles. That's going to come up today. It caused me to wonder to, when I was reading this, where am I going to find inspiration I always look at a chapter and say, oh, that jumps out at me. Oh, that jumps out at me in teaching and, and something that will be helpful. And really all I came out with was verse 11, 
where the Lord stood beside Paul and encouraged him and appeared to him at night after he'd gone through this meeting with the Sanhedrin. But I found that as I studied, the Lord was trying to show me the difference between these two issues. And I think it's extremely practical. But the difference between miracles and his providence. So before, you know, don't judge me yet. Wait till we get to the end to see if you can see why I think that's important as it's described in Scripture. Although Paul faced this, you know, life and death situation, this challenge that, that he faced, I think it's, it's a practical discussion that we can have in everyday decisions and, and understanding, especially during difficulties, what's going on and is God really involved in that in our own life? This is God's message to us, I think, revealing that through the providence of God that Paul would know God's presence and he would know God's protection through this whatever providence of God really means. So let's figure out what that is. This, this is God's message to us that we all live under his providential protection and guidance and that we experience his presence as we live out his preordained plan for our lives. Now I'm making an assumption early on that I'm going to prove in a little bit that we have a preordained plan for our life. And you say, well, I messed up that preordained plan. Guess what? Join the club. We have all messed up that plan. And when we messed it up, you think God said, oh, man, I didn't see that coming. No, that's not what the Lord said. The Lord says, you know, I, I'm involved in all of this. I know what's going on. As a matter of fact, there's a preordained plan. Does that mean that I was going to preordain that John, instead of doing this, did this, and he messed up? And so, no, he didn't ordain that John mess up. He, I know you've never messed up, but I'll use you as an illustration. And so, he, you know, he might have gone a different direction at one time than God led him. And he said, well, you know, no, so I'm out of God's will, and I'm out of God's protection. And... Let's talk about that. Let me, let me talk about the differences first between miracles and providence. And then I'm going to point out the providence of God, the obvious providence of God that protected Paul in this story. I think it would be very practical for us. So, let's start with miracles. Famous apologist and theologian and Christian C.S. Lewis said this, I use the word miracle to mean an interference with nature by, the, by supernatural power. Unless there exists, in addition to nature, something else which we may call supernatural, there can be no miracles. Okay? Stay with me. If the event is obviously the work of God and of His power, if it cannot be called a work of God, it's not a miracle. 
the earmark of the miracle is the obvious intervention of God. And I, I believe in Scripture it's obvious. Now, some of you are immediately going to say, oh, there's miracles that go on around us all the time. That's true. But you say, well, we're just talking semantics here. Maybe. I don't think so. I, I, I think there's something that we need to understand that will help us as we go through, especially going through difficulties when we're praying for miracles and we're trying to understand why we're going through what we're going through. I, I think there's something that will help us if we understand that. The direct and visible, and some of this I'm just going to give you, and usually I don't go word for word with my notes. As most of you know, I vary quite often. John really knows because he has my notes. The direct and visible intervention of God into the chain of cause and effect that we call natural law. So what you'll see today is when you have miracles, the natural path of life, call it nature, call it God's natural forces in life, have been altered somewhat because of his intervention creating a miracle. And I'll give you many, many cases of this, but you go to Bible cases, it's like when, when the man is blind and Jesus puts his hands on him and heals him. The, the course of nature is what? Healing or no healing. And Jesus intervened, placed his hands on him, and now against all nature, he can see. That's a miracle. That's a clear miracle of God. In, in Wayne Gruden's Systematic Theology, let me quote, a miracle is a less common kind of God's activity, it is less common, in which he arouses people's awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. Now, I think we'd all would agree that a miracle is a direct intervention of God. So is providence. What's the difference? Providence is the same intervention of God, but in providence, his intervention is hidden. Obviousness versus hiddenness is the difference between the miracle and providence, not whether or not God is working. I would, I would uh, guarantee you today that you do not always see the providence of God working in your life. Now, many times you recognize, let me give you a very simple illustration, which I bet all of you have used before. You say, you know, I, I was supposed to leave 10 minutes ago in my car and go over to see Danny. I was supposed to get in my car and go over to see Danny, but somebody called, and I'm going, oh, I'm late, I'm late, Danny's waiting on me, I'm late, late. You hang up, you say, man, I'll, I'm going to be late, I, I, I'll just go ahead and go. And you go, and you pull up, and what's at that intersection that you always go through? A wreck. And you say, man, if I didn't get that call, I'd have been right in the middle of that wreck. How many of you have ever experienced that or something like that? Yeah, everybody. Every Christian. And what do you believe that is? Oh, it's just lucky. Just uh, circumstances. And I believe that's, that's a very good definition of the providence of God. In that he utilizes the forces of nature and the natural things that are going on around you to get you to where you need to be 
and protect you as long as he has his plan laid out for you to accomplish. And you've heard preachers and many others say you are invincible, you're immortal until such a time that God is finished with you. I believe that's true. Now, I heard J. Vernon McGee say this one time, and I thought it was, you know, pretty, pretty accurate. He said a guy came to him one time and said, Dr. McGee, you said that if anybody, no matter what, you know, God's plan was that, it, you know, if my plan is, is to do this, and I'm immortal till God uh, gets, gets through with me. And he said, yes, I did say that. He said, well, I, you know, if I'm immortal, and it's not, he said, I'm going to go stand out in the middle of the street and just let a car run over me. What do you think about that? He said, I think you are no longer immortal. <laughs> but all silliness aside, there's things that go around us all the time where God's putting the pieces of the puzzle together as we interact with thousands and thousands and thousands of people across the world that he created, that he's a part of, that he has a plan for all of it. That's how big God is. At times he chooses to intervene in a miraculous way. Most of the time, teaching us to trust his providence, it occurs as we live for him, and many times we, we go off the path and go to different places and go different directions, and yet God says we can make all things work together, and he has a plan. I'm going to show you about that in just a second, more about that. The word providence actually comes from the Latin word providentia and means foresight or making provision beforehand. Okay, that's, that's simple. God's involved in the world both naturally and supernaturally, right? Would everybody agree with that? God created nature, so God's involved in the world naturally and supernaturally as he superintends all things, key word being superintend. Even natural processes can be attributed to divine intervention. So this is what Michael Horton said in his book on systematic theology. When a burn heals, it is God who heals it through the natural processes with which he is richly endowed and so carefully attends it. Now, Jim, there's a difference between you going to have knee replacement surgery Thursday. Here's the difference between miracle and providence. A miracle would be you walk in there and the doctor looks at it and says, you know what? Your knee is fine. Could that happen? Absolutely, if God chooses to do that, that would be a miracle. If you go in as you expect to do and have the knee replacement surgery and the doctor is given all the wisdom to do all the good things that you hope that they know how to do and you're trusting that they know how to do, then over a period of, of time, Jim's knee heals, doesn't it? And his body adjusts to the new knee. Who do you think put that in place? The doctor doesn't do that healing. God does that healing. He put the law of nature there to do that healing in your body and superintends it. So, not only goes on, he says, not only when one's cancer mysteriously disappears, uh, talking about miracles, talking about providence, but when it is conquered through the countless layers of creaturely medi mediation, ultimately God is the healer. 
And God, in other words, he's saying God uses those he gifts to help us physically, but the healing is done by him in his providence. Now, let me read this to you. It's from the Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology by Baker, a big, huge book, and most of you, you're not going to sit down and read this, but it's really good explanation of providence. Let me read this to you about God's involvement in human life. I'm not going to read all the verses of Scripture. If you're interested in having the verses of Scripture that are attached to it, let me know. I'll give them to you. Every aspect of human life is included in God's providential orderings. Just as with the formation, growth, existence, fortunes, and destiny of the world as a whole, the nations of the earth, and Israel in particular, so is it with the individual. Now, we know God has a plan for Israel. He has the same plan for you and for me. I'll show you in just a minute. God formed us in the womb, ordained what all lives should be. All these have scripture references. Guides us in our life circumstances, meets our temporal needs, sends prosperity and adversity, ultimately takes us off this earth in death at his own appointed time. None of this should cause anxiety. But it does, doesn't it? In fact, we are told of this to encourage and strengthen us in the uncertainties of life. We must remember that it is God, our Heavenly Father, who is ordering our lives. He knows and loves us infinitely. Even the hairs of our head are numbered. Not a challenge for some of us. He who clothes... <laughs> some of y'all get that in a minute. He who clothes the, gla the grass and flowers of the field in striking beauty will also take care of us, and nothing is left to chance. A heavenly Father guides our lives. Amen? Amen? That's a great definition. I didn't write it, and it's really good. In Esther, go back to Esther. The plot of Haman, he plotted to get all, he, he tricked the king, right? To get, to get all the Jews killed. Hated the Jews. Want to get rid of the Jews. And so he, he did this plot. Mordecai and, those, and the uncle of Esther who had become queen found out about it. And so Mordecai says, look, you need to go to the king. Get this sorted out. And Esther says, if I go in front of the king without being called, I'll be killed. And he says, who knows if God called you for such a time as this. And she said, if I perish, I perish. She goes into the king and says, king, look, there's a plot against you. Guess what? They figured it all out. The Jews are saved. And Haman, he loses. He gets executed on the gallows that he built for Mordecai. Uh, didn't work out so well for Haman. Hanging Haman. So that's very similar to our story today. I know, I know. I'm just now giving you the outline. Don't be afraid. We have a meeting at 12 o'clock, so I've got to finish it time, on time. All right? Don't be afraid. That was, I had to lay this, this foundation. Here's, here's a good outline for you of the chapter, just so you know where we're at. Paul goes before the Sanhedrin. In the, uh, down through verse 10. Then he encounters the Lord in verse 11. 
In verse 12 down through verse 22 is the plot to kill Paul. Sounds like the same story, right? And then protection of Paul and he's delivered to Caesarea in verse 23 down to the end of the chapter. So here's the story. The Roman commander sends Paul to the Sanhedrin first. And he really wants to know what's going on. Why are we, charged, why are we so upset with this boy? The high priest, Ananias, who's a devil, an absolute, you should read the history and what Josephus and Tertullus and other people say, Jewish historians, about Ananias. Wicked guys, a Roman cons conspirator, even against his people, took bribes, terrible high priest. And ultimately, when you, were, when, when you laughed and said, you know, God will smite you, you whitewashed wall, he did. He tried to escape from his own people in Herod's palace and went and hid in the aqueducts, and they found him and killed him. So Ananias, and they all hated Ananias. He's the head dude right now. So he orders the, an attendant to punch him in the mouth. All right? I ought to give, tell this. Now, this is where you entered in the, the lesson discussion with Ron, where Jeannie told me about how she punched people in the mouth. Now, <laughs> wasn't that it? Did I get the story wrong? Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> So Paul, I had to tell her the story of when I got punched in the mouth. So we don't have time for you to hear it today. Sorry. If those of you that want to stay later, I'll tell you the story. So Paul then reacts to the high priest, and he violently reacts, doesn't he? He said, Why, you know, God will smite you. And then what happens? They said, hey, that's the high priest. And Paul comes back and says, well, I'm not supposed to say bad things about the high priest. The Romans then take Paul to the barracks. The next night, the Lord appears to Paul in verse 11. says, hey, I'm here. Everything's all right. You're going to Rome. And then a plot is formed by 40 men to kill Paul. Paul's nephew, which the word nephew that's used there indicates that he was an adolescent. He was probably anywhere from 13 to 17 years old. He saves the day partly because of Paul's 17-year-old or 13-year-old nephew, we ultimately got the gospel. Pretty cool how the providence of God works, isn't it? He goes in, he tells, the, he said, look, Paul, they're going to come kill you. Paul said, go tell the commander. He goes, tell the commander. The commander's nice to him. This is a Roman commander. They don't like these guys. Brings him in. Says he puts his hand on his shoulder and says, hey, tell me what you got. He tells him. The commander decides to get Paul out of town at night. He takes 470 soldiers to protect Paul. 200 in the infantry and 70 in the cavalry and 200 spearmen to protect and get him out of town at night. And he does. He gets him out of town, gets him to Caesarea, where then we have Paul is going to go in front of Felix, which we'll start talking about next Sunday. So that's the story. Let me just pick out a couple of things. I'm not going to have time to go through. I'd like to study the, there's a lot about in all good conscience that he says in verse 1. He said, my brothers, I fulfill my duty to God in all good conscience. Just circle the word conscience. Do a little Bible study on the word conscience. Paul, it's used twice in Acts here and in chapter 24, the next chapter, verse 16. But 21 times in his letters, Paul refers to the conscience. A good conscience, a defiled conscience, an evil conscience, a seared conscience. We don't have time today. 
The entire chapter, though, hinges on verse 11. Look at verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul. He just didn't come in. He said stood near Paul. I like that he stood near him. And said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome. He said, look, let me encourage you. You're going to keep on going. You're doing the right thing. I'm committed to you. You're going to get to Rome, and you're going to testify there. Great message. So he says, take heart, take courage. Now, Jesus said that four times. It's more than that, but four times. He said, take courage. He appeared to people and said, take courage. Read these out with for me, if you would. Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, where Jesus encounters the paralyzed man. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man, lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. All right? Take heart, take courage to the man that was helpless and homeless. All right? The woman sick for 12 years, Matthew 9, 22. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Right. Sick for 12 years. Very sick, going to doctor, 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 doctor. Anybody identify with that? Okay, going to doctor, 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 doctor. Jesus says, take courage, take heart. All right, the disciples in the storm, Matthew 14, 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. All right, good, good. Difficult circumstances, Jesus cries out to them, hey guys, don't worry, I'm with you. I'm with you, don't worry. Good message for you to read, Don. I'm with you, don't worry. Amen? Amen. Amen. And then John 16, 33, a little bit different place. John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart. He's talking to the disciples in the upper room. I mean, this is right before he goes. He's saying, I'm about to die. I'm leaving you. You've put all your faith in me. I'm leaving. He said, take heart. He said, you're going to have tribulation. Take heart because I'm with you. So do you find yourself in any of these situations? Let's just check them off. Ask yourself. Helpless, hopeless situation? He appears near to you and says, I'm with you. It's great when we go through illnesses, difficulties, if we have a friend, if we have a spouse, if we have a family member that we is right there and says, I'm with you. I'm with you. But it is even so much more real in our lives as we get closer and closer to Jesus and heaven that he says, look, I am with you. I'm fitting all the pieces together. It's not how you see it because you're not God. But I'm, I'm going to be with you. It's uh, illnesses. It's rampant through our class, it seems like right now, doesn't it? It's rampant as we think about our friends and loved ones and our hearts grieve for our good friend and, and father of our class, Tommy Armstrong, who is in such difficulty. 
but he's saying, look, uh, I'm there in the storm. I'm there in the difficulty. I'm there when trouble threatens, when you're discouraged. Because God then in this story providentially causes the young nephew of Paul to find out about the plot. And through a course of providential occurrences, Paul is rescued and taken on the road to Rome. So here's the application. St. Augustine said, trust the past to the mercies of God, trust the present to his love, and the future to his providence. My favorite, though, is what, and I have it up on the screen, I think. Look what Chuck Swindoll said in his book on Acts. God has a purpose for us, and no plot can overthrow that plan of God. It is invincible, unalterable, irrefutable plan. God will get you there. He's committed to it. Failure and mistakes notwithstanding. I wish we could get that one sentence. Well, I failed. Fifteen years ago, I failed. Does that alter the plan of God, the power of God in making us fit into his plan? Absolutely not. He knows you. <laughs> that can be good or bad, right? He knows what he wants to accomplish. He sees beforehand what threatens to undermine his plan, and nothing can stand in his way. And we can say, as Mordecai said to Esther, who knows whether thou art not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Let me close with this. I read a lot from... Paul David Tripp's book. And on uh, July 1st, he had some of you read this, I know. And if you don't, you hear me say it enough, so you probably uh, end up reading as about as much as I do. But July 1st, he said this, and it fits so well. Does discouragement preach to you a false gospel that causes you to forget that your future has already been written into the pages of God's book? It is discouraging to face your struggle with sin, the disloyalty of a friend, the rebellion of your children, the souring of your marriage, the division of your church, the temptations that seem to be all around you, the injustice that lives in this fallen world, the pain and worry of physical sickness, the loss of your job, the hardship of old age, I haven't got there yet, John, have you? I don't have that one yet. The death of your dreams. That's discouraging. But in the face of discouragement, there's one thing you need to remember. It is captured in just a few powerful words from Psalm 139, verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. What a miraculous scripture. Isn't that hard to imagine? That before you were formed? <laughs> I don't understand that, Don, do you? Before you were formed, he already had every day. I know what's going to happen. I know It's hard to imagine. That's the providence of God. 
He said, it's vital, remember, when trouble comes your way, class, and discouragement begins to grip your heart, that every single day of your life was written into God's book before you lived the very first of them. Let's pray. Our hearts are just uh, thrilled at the providence and the interest, what grace, the interest that you have in our life so that you order our steps and plan our days. We fall off that plan and we go different directions and yet you say, I know how that fits in because I've, I've designed it knowing full well that we're not perfect and that we're sinners and we make wrong, wrong choices. We get discouraged, we get depressed. We see things go wrong, we have health problems, we have discouragement problems, we have financial problems, we have marriage problems, we have all kinds of issues. And yet you're not surprised by any of them because you've already written our days. And it's not a fatalistic view, Father, we understand that. It's a view of we trust that book that you have of us. It's hard for us to picture because we don't have the ultimate, infinite wisdom of God. But we do trust you today. And all the problems that have popped into people's minds as they thought about this today, help us to understand that you superintend all of those difficult circumstances that we face. In Christ's name, amen.